Matt Drake is a um, former Army Ranger, and he's a former Army Ranger because after I got out of the FBI, I spent 10 years um, working with companies that that marketed or created technologies uh, primarily for folks in the special operations community. And, and three of my closest friends all hailed from the Ranger Regiment. And so I kind of was marinated, if you will, in, in kind of their culture and how they see the world and why. And when I looked out um, at Thriller Books, there weren't a lot of books that had a main character who, who had been in the Ranger Regiment. An excerpt from today's guest, speaking on his military thriller series. New York Times bestselling author Don Bentley is here to kick off season three of this podcast, and I'll speak with him right after this break. I'm Robert Child, and this is Point of the Spear. Summer is a great time for catching up on military history, and my book about the seven Black Medal of Honor recipients of World War II is out now. Immortal Valor chronicles these timeless heroes' life journeys through all the pain and struggle until their ultimate triumphs. I hope you check out the book or audiobook, which is available now in stores and online. Welcome back. Today's guest spent a decade as an Army Apache helicopter pilot, during which time he was stationed in South Korea, Germany, and Texas, while deployed to Afghanistan as a troop commander in support of Operation Enduring Freedom 6. He was awarded the Bronze Star and the Air Medal with V for Valor. His latest book is called Hostile Intent, and New York Times bestselling author Don Bentley joins us now. Don, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's our honor, sir. But I say that to everybody. <laughs> but it is. It is, sir. Very very much so. I was looking into the book, but before we get into, into the book, I read your article in National Review, and I was very struck mm. by it. And it was about leaving soldiers behind in Afghanistan. And yeah. you, you served in that conflict. And could you tell us a little bit about your service? There? Yeah, so I, I spent... Um... After college, I spent 10 years in the Army as a uh, Apache helicopter pilot, and um, one of those was a uh, one-year um, deployment to Afghanistan as an air cavalry troop commander. So I was uh, a pilot in command and um, was the the uh, headquarters and headquarters troops. So I had the folks who um, are in charge of putting out what are called FARPs, the forward arming and refueling points. And so I had, I was in Bagram for most of my tour, but I had folks scattered across Afghanistan and um, Organi and Jalalabad and Salerno um, and Kandahar all over the place. And then because I was a, a pilot in command, I actually got to fly um, quite a few uh, missions as well. And so they're basically three types of missions that you fly in Afghanistan. There's um, one that's called ring route support. And so the majority of uh, equipment and people for the most part moved by helicopter rather than vehicle, if at all possible, we could, to avoid um, IEDs and such. And so when a Blackhawk or Chinook um, would go and, and transport people and equipment from, from FOB to FOB, um, Apaches would uh, provide gunship support for it. And so that was a, uh, could be an eight or a nine hour mission um, that most of the time was was pretty boring, but you were just flying from point to point, um, providing gunship security. And then kind of on the other end of the uh, spectrum, there's a mission set called a, 
direct action mission support where if guys on the ground were going to go hit a target, um, you would be the gunship support uh, for that operation. And so that often took the form of um, a, a team, like I said, on the ground going after a high value target. And then you would be um, the gunship support. And the way that we would prepare for that is every time a new special operations team would rotate into country, we would take them across the river there at Bagram and, and practice with them. So they got used to calling Apache um, close uh, CCAs is what we call them at the time, close combat mm -hmm. attacks. And then the final mission set for the, is um, what's called the QRF or quick reactionary force. And so on that one, you're kind of like the 911 um, force for, for the base in that you usually worked a 12 hour shift either. I think it was like four in the morning to four in the afternoon or four in the afternoon to four in the morning. And so you would run the helicopter up and then carry a, a walkie talkie with you. And if something went wrong, you had 30 minutes to be airborne to go address that. So that ran the gambit from very benign things like a general wanted to, to fly from Bagram to Kabul. And so you would be the escort to that to things um, that were more interesting that could be uh, a medevac going out and, and, and picking up a guy or a girl or, or a tick or troops in contact. And so those were the three different, uh, very broad mission sets that you'd have in Afghanistan. I see. And I read about your service um, searching for the downed Chinook yeah. with the seals. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's part of Red Wings. Yeah. That was rough. I've interviewed several authors who have served in the military and made the, mm. um, the transition to to author. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, one of them is Brad Taylor. And uh, mm -hmm. he, he jokingly said, uh, you know, I wrote my book thinking no one would read it. <laughs> and you're one of the authors that also made the transition from warrior to author. And yeah. uh, what compelled you to do that? Uh, I was a writer long before um, I was in the military, and so I'd actually, I'd, I, you know, even even back into into elementary school, I remember um, being a storyteller and watching movies or or reading books and 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 being not quite satisfied with the the outcome or the ending and thinking what would I have done different, mm. kind of crafting. Uh, my own story or my own ending. And when I was a senior in high school, I had a exceptional English teacher who took me aside at one point and said, Hey, you're, you're really good at this. You could actually do it for a living. And so I, I kind of heeded her advice and went to college and majored in electrical engineering as all good writers do. And, um, <laughs> and still kind of worked um, on, on my books on the time. And so Brad, is a fantastic writer and a, and a great friend of mine. His first mm. book uh, was an instant New York Times bestseller. So he figured out pretty quickly that people were going to read what he wrote. My first three books, nobody read because uh, they weren't good enough to sell. And so I spent a good chunk of time reading or writing books that nobody read. And so when I finally got to the point where I wrote Without Sanction, which was my debut novel in the fourth book, it was, you know, I was kind of at the point where I didn't know if anybody was ever going to read um, what I was writing. And so it was, it's a pretty amazing feeling um, when it actually sold and it sold in a, in a two book deal. But then that brings as a writer kind of its own sense of challenges because you go from, in my case, writing a series of books that nobody's ever going to read to all of a sudden now you're writing the second in the series and 
reviews are coming in on the first and you realize, holy cow, somebody is actually going to read this and maybe it should be good since people are going <laughs> to read it. And so it's kind of funny what you, uh, what you struggle with as a writer, you both, um, and one side of the coin, you think you're never going to have what it takes to make it. And then the other side of the coin, when you get published, you're wondering if the whole thing was a fluke and you don't have what it takes to do it again. And so it's one of the, one of the joys of this profession, I guess. Yeah. Trying to follow up on your success. And um, I uh, I noted that after a couple of those books, you were tasked to write uh, in the Tom Clancy mm-hmm. world. Tell yeah. us how that all unfolded. Yeah, so I'm very fortunate in that uh, my editor is a guy named Tom Colgan, and Tom was Tom Clancy's editor uh, when Tom was still alive. And then uh, once Tom passed away, the the Tom Clancy Foundation kind of arrived at a deal with his publisher that would allow other writers to come in and kind of continue to write in that universe, much like, um, you know, for, for George Lucas, that, that all kinds of people now come in and create in the star Wars universe um, that he originally um, came up with. And so it just so happened that after my second book, um, I turned in the outside man, which was number two in the Matt Drake series. After you turn in a book to your editor, you have this this call with them where they go through the book and kind of talk through what they liked and what they didn't like and what they think you ought to take a look at. And it's and it's a really nerve wracking call because up until that point, you know, you you have grand aspirations of how you've probably written the great American novel and and it's going to be amazing. And then you realize that probably isn't so. And so then it kind of transforms into that feeling of, of being in fourth grade and realizing that you left your homework at home and, and needing to feel that face the teacher. And so it was a pretty good um, conversation. And at the very end, um, Tom Colgan did kind of a Columbo moment with me where he said, just one more thing. Uh, would you be interested in writing in the Clancy world as well? And so the guy who had written before me is a fantastic uh, writer named Mike Madden. And he'd gotten to the point where He'd written a number of Clancy books and wanted to move on to do something else. And so it was a combination of just being in the right place at the right time. Um, and, and, and I think Tom uh, Colgan, my editor, made a distinction that it was my second book. And so there's a there's a phenomenon um, that editors will say that many writers only have one book in them. And what they mean by that is that you have your entire life to write that first book. And so you can rewrite it countless times. Nobody's asking for it. You can mm-hmm. get it perfect. And then once you transition to the point where you now have to write a book in 12 months and come up with a brand new idea, a lot of people can't do that. And so uh, from what I understand uh, from talking to Tom, that is one of the differentiators is they very anxiously wait for a writer's second book. And it just so happened that my second book came in, he liked it at the same time that Mike Madden decided that he was done uh, writing in the Clancy universe. And so the the stars kind of aligned, if you will. And so now I'm in a, in a spot where um, I, I write a book every five months and I alternate between one of my books, the last of which was um, Hostile Intent, or one of the Clancy books, and the last one of those was Target Acquired. And so I just turned in um, the fourth book in my series. It's called Forgotten Ward, and actually um, uh, deals with the fall of Afghanistan. And now mm-hmm. I'm writing on uh, the next Clancy book, um, 
which doesn't have a title yet or, or actually too much of a plot, but it's due uh, on the 15th of October. So hopefully oh. those come to me pretty soon. <laughs> I hope you're enjoying this episode. Next time, author and 101st Airborne Vietnam veteran Larry Freeland will be here to discuss his latest book, Chariots in the Sky, a riveting novel of air combat action during the Battle of Lam Song, 719. To put that in perspective, they went in to open up, and this was the bloodiest day in aviation army history. They went in to open up a fire base, which was called Lolo. And uh, that was like a month into this now. And that's when the NBA had all their people there. They had two two or three assault helicopter companies go into Lolo or try to. And at the end of the day, 11 helicopters were shot down the first day trying to insert these men. That's next time. Summer is a great time for catching up on military history. And my book about the seven Black Medal of Honor recipients of World War II is out now. Immortal Valor chronicles these timeless heroes' life journeys through all the pain and struggle until their ultimate triumphs. I hope you check out the book or audiobook, which is available now in stores and online. Now back to the conversation. Is it difficult to switch from the voice of of your uh, hostile intent character, mm. Matt Drake, to the voice of the Clancy main yeah. character? I guess, so I get asked that a lot. It's kind of a, um, a blessing and a curse that I'm writing in the same genre um, because the characters can be similar. I think what one of the things that helps me is that um, Nelson DeMille is a huge influence on my writing. And so his, um, in particular, his John Corey character um, that was that kind of debuted in um, his book Plum Island. And he has a very witty first person um protagonist voice and so i i'm i modeled uh, or, or, or modeled my character matt drake a lot off of that kind of writing because i, I remember finishing reading plum island and telling my wife you know i, I would read about john Corey going to the grocery store because he's <laughs> so much fun to hang out with and if and i think i could write um you know something similar and so that helps me keep those um separate if you will and that when i go from a matt drake book to a jack ryan book it's a very different voice just because um the way as an author i'm I'm telling it is different because jack ryan is a traditional um third person point of view now will i what i will say is that it it is very very helpful to me to have tom colgan be the editors for both books because he my first Clancy book was called Target Acquired. And there were, you know, some of his editorial notes that were parts where he said, hey, this is more Matt Drake's voice than it is yeah. Jack Ryan. Uh, you need to dial this back. And so having him serve as kind of a guardrails for both of those books, it really frees me up and, and lets me push the envelope, hopefully, um, with each book. But it, it's good having him there. And, and then that distinction between the two voices helps quite a bit. Good to good resource there mm. for the uh, very few people who haven't read the the new series matt drake uh, introduce us to matt a little bit more sure. and, and his world yeah so um tom colgan also likes to say that when you're a new author um coming to the genre you have to do something that's the same but different and so what he means by that is you know brad taylor's um, protagonist is a guy named pike logan 
and and nobody can write a better um, Pike Logan book than Brad can. If I tried to model my book off of what Brad does, it would be kind of a pale imitation. And so on one hand, you want the reader who, if, if you like Brad Taylor books and he put any, and, and my book is shelved in the same section to say, okay, I understand why Don's shelved um, next to Brad, but I also understand that there's something distinct about um, what Don writes and what his character is. And so I made a couple of choices as I, like I said, it was my fourth book that I'd written um, to try and do the same, but different. And so Matt Drake is a um, former army ranger and he's a former army ranger because after I got out of the FBI, I spent 10 years um, working with companies that that marketed or created technologies uh, primarily for folks in the special operations community. And, and three of my closest friends all hailed from the Ranger regiment. And so I kind of was, was, was um, marinated, if you will, in, in kind of their culture and how they see the world and why. And when I looked out um, at thriller books, there weren't a lot of books that had a main character who, who had been in the Ranger regiment. Oh. I also made Matt a um, an employee of the Defense Intelligence Agency DIA, and he that is another uh, agency that not a whole lot of folks um, know about or isn't used widely in fiction. It is a intelligence organization, much like the CIA, but it reports through the military's um, command structure. And so, having that um, creates a lot of inherent conflict because the CIA and DIA have very similar mission sets and often are competing. Um, for assets and resources and, and over the same um, geography, if you will. And so both having that, that's that's a little bit different. And then um, being able to show an agency that not as many folks know about. And then finally, my, Matt's job is to run and recruit um, what when I was in the FBI, we called sources, uh, what folks in the intelligence community call assets. And so his job was very similar to what mine was uh, when I was in the FBI, but he runs and recruits um, assets overseas. And so it was kind of those things that that brought together something that was uh, that was the same and that hopefully belongs in the genre, but also different enough where if you read my books, hopefully you don't think, well, this is a knockoff of Brad Taylor or Mark Graney or, or some of the other guys who write um, fantastic works, but also, um, you want to be able to do something a little different. And so that's my take on, on being the same, but different. That makes sense. And the notes I read about hostile intent are that it could be ripped from the current headlines. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, um, when, when, so again, hostile intent is the third book in my series and the first two books without sanction and the outside man very much dealt with, um, a threat based in the middle East, um, without sanction took place a lot of it in Syria and the outside man had to do with a, um, a former Iraqi uh, general from Saddam's army who's now a, a criminal mastermind and is, is, is trafficking um, sex traffic um, Yazidi girls and so uh, with when I came to write um, Hostile Intent I wanted to do something different I wanted it to take place in Europe and I also had the the books that brought me to this genre that I loved when I was a teenager were books like Hunt for the Red o or not Hunt for the Red October, but Red Storm Rising, which was an epic military thriller, and Red Phoenix by Larry Bond that kind of showed the same thing in Korea, or Team Yankee by Harold Coyle that showed what a, a, a Soviet invasion of Germany would look like 
And so I wanted to show that on um, European soil in a European theater and and have a more of a, a throwback to those books. And so as I was looking at that, I thought, you know, what would be a great um, a great way to have a limited conflict on European soil? And I thought, you know what, Ukraine is pretty ripe for that. I'll write about a Russian invasion of the Ukraine. And so. Uh, when I wrote that book uh, a year and a half ago or, or whatever it was, it was still um, a, a, a something that was plausible, but something that was still very much in the in the world of fiction. And since then, unfortunately, it is it has become fact. And so that's been a very surreal feeling to, to yeah. watch some some events that, you know, I kind of predicted or, or thought about or thought through how it would happen then then come true in real life for sure. Has Hollywood come calling? Because, uh, <laughs> um, you know, I asked that of, of all the writers I interview. Because yeah. I've been starting to uh, view uh, Jack Carr's series, uh, The Terminal yeah. List, which is excellent, I feel. Yeah, yeah. I, I just finished that as well. Jack Carr is great, um, and, and his series was fantastic. And then Mark Greeny's Gray Man actually comes out on Netflix today. So mm-hmm. that's going to be my my Friday night plans, but, uh, you know, those guys are, um, it seems like right now that's a very common thing to have books made into movies because both of those guys have, um, have been fortunate enough to have that happen, but it's very much in, in the minority, honestly, you know, going back to Brad Taylor again, he's, I can't remember. I think he's on book number 17 and each one has been a New York times bestseller and he hasn't had any made into TVs or movie shows. And so for me, um, it is where, where I think it is with most writers and that you have some conversations and then um, you spend most of your time waiting to see if anything's happening. And so I'm very much in the waiting to see if anything's uh, happening phase right now. And I think, you know, even looking at Lee Child, which I think the the Reacher series on Amazon was fantastic. I mean, that was his first book. And I think it was, uh, you know, the, the, the Tom Cruise movie, certainly, but even then was, think at least 15 or 20 years after he wrote killing floor um that his first his first film adaptation came and so it's it's very much you know that the folks that have been in this business longer than i have um who i look up to just kind of say you know what if it if it happens that's amazing but certainly don't don't plan on it happening and that's that's kind of where i am right now yeah don't hold your breath because yeah exactly very fickle, Hollywood. Is exactly. Fickle. Well, we've been talking about Don's latest book, Hostile Intent. Don, thank you so much for being on the show today. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure talking with you. That's it for this episode. Thanks so much for joining me. Next time, author and 101st Airborne Vietnam veteran Larry Freeland will be here to discuss his latest book, Chariots in the Sky, a riveting novel of air combat action during the Battle of Lam Song, 719. To put that in perspective, they went in to open up, and this was the bloodiest day in aviation army history. They went in to open up a fire base, which was called Lolo, and uh, that was like a month into this now. And that's when the NBA had all their people there. They had two, two or three assault helicopter companies go into Lolo, or try to. And at the end of the day, 11 helicopters were shot down the first day trying to insert these men. That's next time. And if you like what you hear, Leave a review or a rating or just click the follow button. And be sure to check out our Point of the Spear YouTube channel with bonus video material plus full military history documentaries. There's tons to explore, and I hope you check it out. I'm Robert Child, and this has been Point of the Spear. Point of the Spear.
Music licensed from audioblocks.com. Point of the Spear is produced by RSC Media Group.